0: section twenty-four of rights of man by thomas paine this librivox recording is in the public domain read by edward kirkby warwick england part second chapter one of society and civilization great part of that order which reigns among mankind is not the effect of government it has its origin in the principles of society and the natural constitution of man. It existed prior to government, and would exist if the formality of government was abolished. The mutual dependence and reciprocal interest which man has upon man, and all the parts of civilized community upon each other, create that great chain of connection which holds it together. The landholder, the farmer, the manufacturer, the merchant, the tradesman, and every occupation prospers by the aid which each receives from the other and from the whole. Common interest regulates their concerns and forms their law, and the laws which common usage ordains have a greater influence than the laws of government. In fine, society performs for itself almost everything which is ascribed to government. To understand the nature and quantity of government proper for man, it is necessary to attend to his character. As nature created him for social life, she fitted him for the station she intended. In all cases, she made his natural wants greater than his individual powers no one man is capable without the aid of society of supplying his own wants and those wants acting upon every individual impel the whole of them into society as naturally as gravitation acts to a centre but she has gone further she has not only forced man into society by a diversity of wants which the reciprocal aid of each other can supply but she has implanted in him a system of social affections which, though not necessary to his existence, are essential to his happiness. There is no period in life when this love for society ceases to act. It begins and ends with our being. If we examine with attention into the composition and constitution of man, the diversity of his wants and the diversity of talents in different men for reciprocally accommodating the wants of each other his propensity to society and consequently to preserve the advantages resulting from it we shall easily discover that a great part of what is called government is mere imposition Government is no farther necessary than to supply the few cases to which society and civilization are not conveniently competent, and instances are not wanting to show that everything which government can usefully add thereto has been performed by the common consent of society without government. For upwards of two years from the commencement of the American war, and to a longer period in several of the American states, there were no established forms of government. The old governments had been abolished, and the country was too much occupied in defence to employ its attention in establishing new governments. Yet during this interval, order and harmony were preserved, as inviolate as in any country in Europe. There is a natural aptness in man, and more so in society, because it embraces a greater variety of abilities and resource to accommodate itself to whatever situation it is in. The instant formal government is abolished, society begins to act. A general association takes place, and common interest produces common security. So far is it from being true, as has been pretended, that the abolition of any formal government is the dissolution of society, that it acts by a contrary impulse, and brings the latter the closer together. All that part of its organisation, which it had committed to its government, devolves again upon itself, and acts through its medium. When men, as well from natural instinct as from reciprocal benefits, have habituated themselves to social and civilized life, there is always enough of its principles in practice to carry them through any changes they may find necessary or convenient to make in their government. In short, man is so naturally a creature of society that it is almost impossible to put him out of it. Formal government makes but a small part of civilized life and when even the best that human wisdom can devise is established, it is a thing more in name and idea than in fact. It is to the great and fundamental principles of society and civilization, to the common usage universally consented to, and mutually and reciprocally maintained, to the unceasing circulation of interest which, Passing through its million channels invigorates the whole mass of civilised man. It is to these things, infinitely more than to anything, which even the best instituted government can perform, that the safety and prosperity of the individual and of the whole depends. The more perfect civilization is, the less occasion has it for government because the more does it regulate its own affairs and govern itself. But so contrary is the practice of old governments to the reason of the case, that the expenses of them increase in the proportion they ought to diminish. It is but few general laws that civilized life requires, and those of such common usefulness, that whether they are enforced by the forms of government or not, the effect will be nearly the same. If we consider what the principles are that first condense men into society, and what are the motives that regulate their mutual intercourse afterwards, we shall find, by the time we arrive at what is called government, that nearly the whole of the business is performed by the natural operation of the parts upon each other. Man, with respect to all those matters, is more a creature of consistency than he is aware or than governments would wish him to believe. All the great laws of society are laws of nature. Those of trade and commerce, whether with respect to the intercourse of individuals or of nations, are laws of mutual and reciprocal interest. They are followed and obeyed because it is the interest of the parties so to do, and not on account of any formal laws their governments may impose or interpose. But how often is the natural propensity to society disturbed or destroyed by the operations of government, when the latter, instead of being engrafted on the principles of the former, assumes to exist for itself and acts by partialities of favour and oppression, it becomes the cause of the mischiefs it ought to prevent. If we look back to the riots and tumults which at various times have happened in England, we shall find that they did not proceed from the want of a government, but that government was itself the generating cause. Instead of consolidating society, it divided it, it deprived it of its natural cohesion, and engendered discontents and disorders which otherwise would not have existed. In those associations which men promiscuously form for the purpose of trade, or of any concern in which government is totally out of the question, and in which they act merely on the principles of society, we see how naturally the various parties unite and this shows, by comparison, that governments so far from being always the cause or means of order are often the destruction of it. The riots of 1780 had no other source than the remains of those prejudices which the government itself had encouraged, but with respect to England there are also other causes. Excess and inequality of taxation however disguised in the means, never fail to appear in their effects. As a great mass of the community are thrown thereby into poverty and discontent, they are constantly on the brink of commotion, and deprived, as they unfortunately are, of the means of information, are easily heated to outrage. Whatever the apparent cause of any riots may be, the real one is always want of happiness. It shows that something is wrong in the system of government that injures the felicity by which society is to be preserved. But as a fact is superior to reasoning, the instance of America presents itself to confirm these observations. If there is a country in the world where Concord, according to common calculation, would be least expected it is America. Made up as it is of people from different nations, accustomed to different forms and habits of government, speaking different languages, and more different in their modes of worship, it would appear that the union of such a people was impracticable. But by the simple operation of constructing government on the principles of society and the rights of man, every difficulty retires and all the parts are brought into cordial unison. There the poor are not oppressed, the rich are not privileged. Industry is not mortified by the splendid extravagance of a court rioting at its expense. Their taxes are few because their government is just, and as there is nothing to render them wretched, there is nothing to engender riots and tumults. A metaphysical man, like Mr. Burke, would have tortured his invention to discover how such a people could be governed. He would have supposed that some must be managed by fraud, others by force, and all by some contrivance, that genius must be hired to impose upon ignorance, and show and parade to fascinate the vulgar. Lost in the abundance of his researches, he would have resolved and re-resolved and finally overlooked the plain and easy road that lay directly before him. One of the great advantages of the American Revolution has been that it led to a discovery of the principles and laid open the imposition of governments. All the revolutions till then had been worked within the atmosphere of a court and never on the grand floor of a nation. The parties were always of the class of courtiers, and whatever was their rage for reformation, they carefully preserved the fraud of the profession. In all cases they took care to represent government as a thing made up of mysteries, which only themselves understood and they hid from the understanding of the nation the only thing that was beneficial to know namely that government is nothing more than a national association adding on the principles of society having thus endeavoured to show that the social and civilised state of man is capable of performing within itself almost everything necessary to its protection and government it will be proper, on the other hand, to take a review of the present old governments and examine whether their principles and practice are correspondent thereto. End of chapter 1 of Society and Civilization Read by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England